just want to make sure I'm not good with anything that involves the lowest form of technology. I'm, I'm not too good. So, all right, I had to check that. Uh, if you check your bulletin today, you'll notice it says Sermon and it says Walter Rota. The topic today is my favorite subject, Walter Rota. So I'll be telling you about... No, that's what it looked like, though. I looked at it this morning. It just happened because I, I didn't give them a title, the ladies a title. So I, again, that's my fault. I, I never like to give a title until basically the last minute. Uh, and anyway, uh, so it just looked a little peculiar to see me as the, the subject this morning. Anyway, let's pray because... I don't know about you, but I need prayer. Father God, it's so good to be with your people on a day that you have set apart for us to focus upon you. Lord, even though every day is your day and we rest in you every day, Lord, there's something about your people coming together as one body to acknowledge your worth, your significance, and our need for you, Lord. So we ask, Lord, that you would come and you would speak to our hearts, Lord. We, uh, we pray you would do a work in each one of us, Lord, that we would leave here and know that in some way we have met with God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two days, it's a new year. And I, I have mixed feelings about the idea of new years. It's, it's a, a new beginning again. We can start all over. Because in a sense, in Christ, every day is that way. When uh, Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations, he said, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Every morning we wake up, God gives us a whole new day, a whole new chance, his, his forgiveness is always fresh. If we come to him in repentance and faith, he's always willing to forgive us. So in a sense, we have a new beginning every day because I don't know about you, but every day I need to repent and I need to come to him and ask for his forgiveness because I do not live a perfect, sinless life. And I might be shaking some of you up, but neither do you. So I just, uh, I did want to bring that up. But I think there is something good, too, about setting aside a day and focusing, if we focus on it as a chance to reflect in the, in the past year and then at the same time say, what do I need to do to maybe make some course corrections here in my life? What is most important for me that I, I need to focus on to make my life more godly? For us as Christians, more godly. Do you ever think about wanting to be more righteous? Not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. But how often do you think about, I wish my life was more righteous. I wish I reflected and showed Christ much more in my life. Well, I was thinking about New Year's resolutions, and probably, I don't know, I'm sure some of you at least, and I've done this many times, but there's probably two, and I don't, I'm not big on looking up statistics and things like that, but I was just guessing and thinking, I said, probably, I would guess one of the biggest New Year's resolutions is, I'm going to change the way I eat. You know, I'm, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to stop the snack food, the junk food, I'm going to really watch that. And probably, the, the, I would say, probably one way up in the top there is, I'm going to go to a gym and work out every day. Starting New Year's Day, I'm getting up and I'm going to start working out. You know, and those aren't bad things. I mean, it's good. But as Christians, do we look at the new year with higher aspirations than that? What, as a Christian, what are you looking forward to in this next year? I wonder if you've thought about it. What, what is your 
goal, in a sense, this year when it comes to your relationship with God. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a, you know, I'm going to give you five things to do kind of guy, or I'm going to give you ten points now on how you can get to that point. No. I'm, I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, because quite honestly, I think God's message is simple. I'll remember something, though, but I made the mistake years ago. Uh, I was in Bible college at the time, and there was maybe four or five guys. It was a small class, and it was on holiness. The topic was holiness, and we were talking about personal holiness. And I was only, I was a young, very young Christian. I mean, I was 35 when I came to the Lord, but I was young in the faith. I had maybe been in the faith about, uh, I don't know, two and a half, three years, but I felt the calling, and I was, I, I was going to Bible college. And during that time, I'm in this class, and there's guys who are pretty mature in this class in the faith. A couple of them, I think, were assistant pastors. They had already been in the ministry, but they were going through. They still needed some courses to be ordained. In the, I was in the Nazarene church, and in the Nazarene church, you have to go through a course of ministerial studies, and at a certain point, you can get what's called a district license and pastor, but in order to be ordained by the general assembly, you have to finish that course of study, and then you go before the review board and do that. Uh, but anyway, so this one fella, Joe Q, was sitting next to me. He called him Q because his last name was Quagliata, and it's like nobody wanted to say that. So anyway, they're sitting, and they're all talking about the struggles that they're having with personal holiness. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, you know, what's with these guys? You know, they're all saying how much they're struggling. And so I, being very new in the faith and you know, thinking I have all the answers. I said, guys, it's very easy, I said. Jesus made it very simple for us. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll never forget Joe Q, who was a very deep guy, uh, a dynamite preacher. I mean, really powerful guy. I remember he looked at me and he had like this pained look on his face. And he said, Walter, he said, it is simple, but it's not easy. And I didn't realize, and, and when he said that to me inside, I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, what's his problem? You know, I mean, that's how, that's where my, my level was, you know, to not have a clue on realizing that the Christian faith and living a holy life is a struggle. It's not easy. We have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross, Luke puts it, daily and follow him. That's not easy, especially in a pagan world, an unbelieving world that is diametrically opposed to Christian values. I mean, if any of you work in, in secular jobs, you know the value systems of people, when you hear them sometimes, you go, holy smokes. You know, really, it's, it's like, it's almost, you forget, you know, how far apart the two systems are. Anyway, getting back to resolutions. Uh, I, I'm thinking most Christians, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, one of them probably is, I want to read the Bible through in a year. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's a good thing. It could be a good thing. <laughs> I'll put it that way and I'll explain why. And another one might be, I want to pray faithfully every day. I want to make sure I set aside time to pray every day. That's a good thing. But I think what Christians have a tendency to do, what we have a tendency to do, is make that an end to itself. In other words, it becomes more about, I'm going to make sure I read these five chapters every day to get through the Bible. And the focus becomes on my reading every day. But we're missing the point that Bible reading 
prayer is a means to a bigger end. It's a way of getting somewhere that we have to remember. And what is it? Well, think about what the most central, uh, the core of, of Christianity is. When you think about, or you think about God and the gospel, what is one, one verse that probably every Christian does have memorized? For God so loved the world. What was God's motive for bringing the gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave. He, he did something because of that love he had. It all has to do with love. It's God's love for us. And in turn, what are we called to do? Go with me to Matthew chapter 22, please. Let me get my specs on here. Now, today what I'm doing is I'm basically going to tell you everything you know. But you know what? Peter said that in one of his letters. He said, basically, I'm telling you what you know. He says, but it's good for you to hear it again and again and again. Because we have a tendency, I think, we like sophistication today. We, we have a tendency to, to, to gyrate toward things that are complex and difficult and, you know, very intellectual. And again, I'm not being negative toward that. Please hear me. I'm not being negative toward these things. The problem is we forget the simple basics. You know, we want to nail the shingles on the roof and the downstairs isn't done yet. You know, some of you ladies are probably with your husbands, you know. I know I've been like that too. You know, we're, we're ready to start a new project and we, we never painted that one little piece of molding, you know, in the kitchen or something like that. You know, it's always that way. Or just that one more floor tile has to go in, but already I'm going to work on the driveway now or I'm going to do this and that. We like to jump and instead of, we need to get, down the basics and in chapter 22 just to give you some quick context some of the religious people Sadducees Pharisees they're constantly trying to get to, to trick Jesus so they can get him to say something that they can say oh he blasphemed he's rebelling against the Roman government they hated him it's interesting, isn't it? The religious people hated the Son of God. But anyway, so the first group comes, and it's the Pharisees and a group called the Herodians, who the Pharisees were the nationalists of Israel. They were, we could call them the, uh, the religious right-wing conservatives. The Herodians... They, they actually hated one another, but they teamed up to trick Jesus. The Herodians were a group that wanted Rome, Jews that wanted Rome to, to, to keep power over them, and they were Herodians because they were in support of Herod, who was put in power by Rome. So now what happens? They come and they try to trick Jesus. They say, Jesus, who should we pay you know, our, our, our tithes to and our tax to? And they show him a coin, and Jesus says, Who's on the cover? Who's on the face of the coin? They say Caesar. He says, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God. And they're like, whoa. So they go away because, you know, he, he covered everything in one good answer, even though it was a trick question for them. Next, the Sadducees come. These guys are, would be considered the religious left wing, totally uh, liberal, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They were the materialists. They were, they were what now we call the here and now guys, basically. They come to Jesus, and they didn't believe in a resurrection, but they give this ridiculous scenario to Jesus. They say, look, there's this guy who married this woman. And they said, now, the, woman's, the, bro the man dies so in the Levitical, in, in the law, it was that a man, his brother, could marry his widow, his brother's dead wife, because in, in doing that, they would keep the line going. So she says, okay, 
Now the guy's died, his brother marries the woman, he dies, then the next brother comes because there were seven brothers. His third brother comes and does. You figure by the, the second or third brother, they'd catch on and go, no way am I going near this woman. I'm not marrying her. You know, pass it on to the, I mean, she's bad news, this woman. The guys are dying like crazy. Anyway, and they go through all seven of them. And as they go through all seven of them, then the Sadducees say, now with the resurrection, who would be her husband? And Jesus tells him right out, in fact, I, I'm going to read it right here, because it's so... Jesus replied to me, listen to what he said. You were in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. And he shows them through the Scriptures that the whole scenario was ridiculous because when we're going to be like the angels, it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to have marriage and things like... And Jesus goes through it with them, and he says, you guys, are, uh, like, you don't know what you're talking about. So they go away. Finally, the Pharisees come back. And look what they say in verse 34. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the, Fa the Sadducees, the ones who just gave that ridiculous scenario, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him. See, again, they're trying to test him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it. Think how profound that is. The second is like it. He's, he's comparing them and saying, you know, in, as far as weight, this is heavy too. The first God, he's saying, but look how heavy this is. And he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Can you imagine that Jesus, in these two sentences, summed up the whole Old Testament? But think about that. We're so involved in having, you know, trying to get so much information and trying to know the Bible, which is a Good thing, okay? It's not bad. But we have a tendency to forget the first and greatest commandment. My question is, what I'm boiling this down to is, how about a New Year's resolution that I want to know God better this year, I want to love Him more, I want to have a deeper passion for Him, and these other things will take place. It's a result. I feel like what, what's happened in Christianity today, to be honest with you, in our personal lives and in the lives of the churches and in our own church, we're kind of trying to do ministry. We're trying to uh, reach out, but we're forgetting something. It has to be driven first by that first commandment. I want to ask you, how often do you think about your love for God, what your relationship is like God with? Do you rush more to say, oh, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to hurry up? And in that process, do you grow closer to God? I guess what I'm saying is that we're, I think we're more into information and we're ignoring the transformation because it's in loving God more getting to know God more, seeing that Bible reading and prayer is intimacy with God. That's where our relationship with Him grows. And the more it grows with Him, the more you're going to love Him. The old phrase, you know, to know Him is to love Him. Well, that's true with God. It's not true with everybody, you know. You get to know me, you may not love me. But the more you get closer to God, you cannot help but love Him. How can you not help a being who this eternal, self-existent, you know, all-powerful, all-knowing, never-changing God, and he wants a relationship with us. In fact, Jesus said, if we have been born again and we're in his kingdom, we call him Father? How can you not love this being? And Jesus says, you want to take all the scriptures? 
Good, he says. Put them in these two commandments. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, your mind. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a Christian 33 years. Never in my life have I kept that commandment for one day. Never in my life have I kept that commandment for one hour. In fact, I'm sure I've never kept it for one minute. What does that mean to love God with our whole being? Everything in us. Our thoughts. The attitudes in our heart. I mean, that's, that's beyond our scope, but it's also a reminder why I need His grace. That, drives, that should drive you to God. Just look at that commandment and say, I can't keep it. I can't do this. I go back to my Savior, and He gives me the grace, and I, my desire is to do that. I mean, I have a desire to love God. What does Paul say? He says, in my mind, I delight in the law of God. But I find this other work at work, this other work in the members of my body. Every time I want to do good, evil is right there with me. This is the Apostle Paul, wrote one-third of the New Testament. He's saying how we struggle. You know, we struggle. But can we get back to the basics? The real basics of what we need to do. We need to learn the other things. We do. But right at the core of everything we do, it should be loving God. Why should we read our Bible? Because it's in the Bible I get to know God more and I get to know myself more. The Bible not only reveals God to us, it reveals me of what I really am. Sinful to the core. In my natural self, in my nature. And it's in the Bible where I see this God, I meet with Him. This is why I, I wish Christians would stop saying, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. I know some of these things sound weird, but I wish we'd say, I'm going to spend time with God. Because I think sometimes it becomes a reading exercise. That's why I was talking about before about the idea of reading the Bible in a year. That's an excellent idea. The more our minds should be saturated with scriptures. You know, this, this means, you know, the man who's blessed in Psalm 1, it says day and night he meditates on God's law. You know, like that. And he's the one who's blessed. He's constantly thinking about God's law. It just becomes a part of him. It's not something mechanical. It's something like you force yourself to do. Oh, I've got to think about this, about God. I've got to think. No, it becomes part of your being. And that's all part of loving God. The more we know his word, the more we depend on him, we draw near to him, we realize what a God we have. We need to get more personal. You know, we're always afraid of almost, we're afraid of the idea that, oh, we're going to sound, we're going to, we don't want to be like mystics and this and that. I'm going to tell you something. I, I feel like we've lost that sense of the supernatural with God. And, you know, you say, well, you know, when we always get nervous about that, you know, because sometimes we think of, you know, our Pentecostal brothers and people like that who get a little bit, you know, a little excited, shall we say, in certain things. And think about the whole concept when it starts. The Bible is supernatural. <laughs> what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. He created it ex nihilo, out of nothing. Is that not supernatural? <laughs> this creation, isn't this supernatural? What God did it was a supernatural act that he did. It is. How about when we're born again? It says that God takes a heart of stone and turns it in a heart of flesh. Uh, that looks supernatural to me. I say, well, how about 
the Holy Spirit lives in me? Is that not supernatural? Or am I like, you know, out there somewhere? Well, that's another story for another time, another sermon. But this, I want to stick to this one here. But with God, it is supernatural. Think about when you open the Bible up. Hebrews 4.12. I always go back to that scripture. For the word of God is what? Living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. What do you know can divide a soul and a spirit? That's supernatural. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts. Who can judge my thoughts and attitudes of my heart? But it says that's what the Word of God does. Paul knew it was supernatural. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It's not the power of words. It's words powered by God. He says, he says I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You know? And the thing about this, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And we, you, know, you go on, you see the Bible is filled with supernatural acts. Just relating to God is supernatural. You know, I'm not talking about ghosts and things. And when that supernatural, I don't mean that, okay? <laughs> I watched one night I, when I was away. This is when I, I was still working. One night a week, I'd have to be away. I remember the hotel one night. There was absolutely nothing on. I'm turning, and there was this show about ghost hunters or some kind of... It was the most ridiculous. I watched it about 15 minutes, and they're like going in this dark, and they have like the, you know, the night cameras, the infrared or whatever, and they're, they're going around, and the guy is like, it was so funny. I was laughing. I'm going, and he's going, oh, look, there's energy here, and the woman's going, oh, yeah, listen. So, there's nothing. I don't understand it. And then when they, people finally tell the stories, they see a ghost. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be just doing this talking like this, but... They see a ghost. I'm always amazed at this. They say, what did you see? Well, it was this elderly, elderly man, and he had on a red jacket, and he was smoking a pipe. I'm saying, where do ghosts get clothes? I never understand. Where do they go for clothes? I don't know. I figured when you die, you, you know, you have nothing, but all of a sudden they've gotten clothes on now. I don't, I mean, it's ridiculous. That's not the supernatural I'm talking about. That's garbage. Bible makes it clear a man is destined to die once and then face judgment. There's no floating around in between and all that's that's hogwash. That's nonsense. Anyway, getting back to the Bible. When when you read the Bible, if this year your resolution is to read the Bible, don't read it. Meet with God. Open it up and realize these are living words. These are the, I'm, I'm always amazed at the Bible, I'll tell you why. What do we want more than anything with relationships? Truth, don't you? When somebody talks to you, don't you want them to tell you the truth? I do. That's the first thing I'm thinking. They tell, you know, they're telling me the truth. I accept that. Think about the system of, of, of law. You know, in our courts, we spend billions of dollars why? What's the whole purpose of trials and courts? To find out the truth, because this guy says this, this guy says that, this one says that, this one says this. It's always, we're desperately looking for the truth. We pay billions of dollars to try and hopefully get to the truth, and sometimes we're wrong. We have divine truth. This book is a treasure. This is something that we should be hungering and thirsting for continually feeding our souls yeah go on the diet go to the gym this year but feed your soul you know paul says you know physical training is of some value you know but but our spirits that's what's eternal that's what's going to count most of all you know, let's feed our souls, but let's meet with God when we read the Bible. Let's stop just doing an exercise. Don't feel good and say, oh, I, I shouldn't say don't feel good, but don't let the basis be, don't let that scripture reading be an end to an end. You know, 
Let it be a means to an end. The Scriptures are to bring us that we, we have fellowship with God, that we're instructed by God, that, we are, that we're taken. God convicts us. I, I thank God. Many times I would say, God, thank you that you convict me during the day of things. You know, I have I maybe talk to somebody or this and that, even if it's not a, uh, an outward thing, but in my heart. I know I'm, th- I'm not right when I'm speaking to that person. I, and the Lord will convict me and say, what's, you know, what are you thinking right now? Or what's your attitude right now? And it's like, wow, Lord, I need to repent. I'm grateful for that. I would worry. I worry the day where I stop, where God stops convicting me, you know, of, of throughout the day because then I got to worry because where's the Holy Spirit? You know, David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. You know, he was worried about that. Uh, anyway, now that I haven't even gone with notes, we'll just continue. Uh, the Bible is one, so think about it. In fact, I'll give you one example of how we can read the Bible and make it just reading. In John chapter 5, and you don't have to go there now, but John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus is talking, and he's directing this right at the religious people. You know, the church folks. (laughs) That was then the temple folks, but this would be the church today. And he looks at the Pharisees. He's looking and talking to them, and he says, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Think about that. The Pharisees, scholars, most scholars would agree that the Pharisees knew the Bible, the Bible, the Old Testament, so well that most of them, I mean, had many books memorized. Think about memorizing just an Old Testament book. How, how you know, in some of the books, you know, you get to the prophets or get to Genesis. <laughs> Try to memorize that. Try to memorize, you know, like Leviticus with all the laws. And <laughs> after a while, you get confused. They not only had those memorized, but they had the entire book. Bible memorized, the entire Old Testament. Some, a number of scholars believe that. They said there had to be some who had the whole Old Testament. That's incredible. And yet, what happened? They were doing yes. They were reading. They could tell you any scripture, any time. And they missed Jesus. They missed who the Bible, Jesus says, this is, these are the scriptures that testify about me. The whole book is about him and think that's the old testament the new testament you know it's all about jesus but the old testament is all about jesus too they didn't realize it and yet they were experts in their reading don't become one of them don't just read the bible because you know you're getting your credits going i read five scriptures i have five chapters five chapters five chapters five chapters we can do that with, with bible memorization too can't we that's why I don't even like the idea of memorizing Scripture. I like the idea of learning and knowing Scripture better. Because when we say we memorize, that doesn't mean... you know. And again, maybe I'm being technically picky here, okay? I'm being a pick. But, but it disturbs me because you know we can rattle off Scriptures, but is it applied to my heart? Am I living it? You know, it just gets back to... Am I loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might? Uh, okay. Uh, let me get off of that for a minute and get on prayer. That's the other thing. And I'm, I'm using these two topics. We could you know, branch out a little bit more. But just the idea, if you're looking this year to make it a year in your spiritual life, read the Bible. Pray more, but don't let it be outward and mechanical. Don't be a Pharisee. You know, we have a tendency to look at the Pharisees and put those guys down. But you know what? Sometimes we act just like them and we don't realize it when we are outwardly doing, but we're hollow inside. And that's they didn't know God. And sometimes we can do things. 
that we think we're being religious, but we're not knowing God. Prayer is something that uh, I worry about too because prayer is something we can get very mechanical. I know that it's a touchy subject, but is prayer something where we are talking and listening to God? Where we're really talking to Him. We're not just mechanically rattling off our requests. I'm afraid that's what prayer time becomes lots of times. Are we sitting quiet? Do you ever sit quiet in prayer time for a while? Maybe just try even a couple minutes. Start by sitting quiet and let all the noise get out of your head. If you're in a quiet place, your head is still probably all buzzing. Get it quiet and just, just let your thoughts go on God and see where they go. And then start to pray. I love what R.C. Sproul said. R.C. Sproul said, whenever I come to prayer, he said, there's two things I remember. The first thing is who I'm praying to. Sovereign King of the universe. The second thing is who's praying to him. This creature made out of the dust of the earth. And yet the privilege for us these lowly creatures. Yes, we're created in his image, although it's fallen until it's restored. But the gap is so wide. That's why Christ came, to, to fill that gap, because the gap is infinite. We can't, we can't begin to reach out to God until our mediator came, our Savior, and he made that possible. Probably the biggest hindrance and I think you might agree with me, you might agree with me just on this one thing during the sermon, uh, is this, that our biggest probably complaint we say of not, being, not doing some of these things is time. Do you all agree that time is a, is a difficult thing with us? And yet, you know, someone once said, you know, we always have time for what we deem important. And I know some, especially if you're a young mother, oh, you know, with a, with a, a, a young a infant, I mean, they're demanding. They're more demanding than a husband, even. You know, they really are, as, as far as attention and all of that, you know. But, uh, and I understand that. And there are times where we do find it difficult. But think about if your prayer life is weak, where you're not spending time, or you're not spending time in the, in the Scriptures meeting with God in the Scriptures, think about this. How much time do you spend on your computer? Do you find, you well, every day you go and look at your email, and then you start going through all the emails, and then you say, oh, let me see what's happening on YouTube, or let me see what's happening on this, or let me, and then you go, holy smokes, an hour and a half just went by, you know? That's time that could be spent with the Lord. You say, well, I need to unwind. Unwind by sitting quietly before God. And see, you want to see the real rest and peace come when you speak with God and God speaks to your heart. You're going to find a rest. Jesus you know, said to his disciples even when he left, you know, my peace, I leave you. Not like the world's peace. You know, I'm giving you a peace that <laughs> nothing compares to. You know, God will take that He'll honor that time for you. He'll take that time and use it. Or how much time do you spend going like this on your phone all day? Really, I see. I was amazed. I'm in the doctor's office. I think I was the only person without a, without a smartphone. Everybody's sitting there. It's like we need to be entertained every minute. We need to be talking every minute. We need to be communicating. Is it bad? If you can do that and get your time with God, that's good okay but if you if you you have the time for that but you don't have the time to meet with God in the scriptures or meet with God in prayer you got to ask yourself how much do I really love God I would love to see us I would love to see it in my own life one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 63 it's a Psalm of David David starts out he says oh God and just listen, have you ever felt this way? 
Or do you want to feel this way? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. In the Hebrews, that word earnestly we use means early I seek you. It means right from when David gets up, he's seeking God right away. By the way, when you get up, how soon before you think about God? How, how quickly does God come through your mind? I wonder, is he maybe about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, an afterthought, just that, you know, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, then all of a sudden you start thinking about God? Do you wake up acknowledging God the minute you open your eyes? Think about it. He got you through the night. That I love, uh, I think it might be Psalm 3. Uh, David says something to the effect, uh, he says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. David realizes, I lay down, but I'm getting up only because God sustained me. You know, even waking up is... That's the grace of God right there. You're going to work, that's okay. Grace of God gave you another day. You know, it's, but we, we forget these things. And David says, think about how he starts it. Oh God, you are my God. Personal relationship. You can hear that personal relationship in that. You're, oh, he just doesn't go, oh God, you are God. He goes, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. Early I seek you. And then listen to these words. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. And then, I mean, that enough is intense, you know, to say my soul is thirsting, my body's longing. It's, I always picture like a gas stove, and he had it on about four, and he just goes, and he puts it up to ten. He says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In those parts of the world, if you're in a dry and weary land and you don't have water and you're thirsting, you're in trouble. You're going to die if you don't run into somebody with a camel quickly with a canteen on or else there's a town or an oasis. David basically is saying, I feel like I'm going to die if I don't have you, Lord. That's what I want. Do you want that? Do you really? Is For this New Year's, is your resolution, I want a hunger and thirst for God. And you say, well, okay, yeah, I want that, but how do I get that? I hate to break it to you, but it's, it's simple. It's not easy, okay? It's simple. Get with the Scriptures faithfully, Meet with God with the Scriptures. Meet in prayer with God. It's always your meeting with God when you do that. And this is not like imagining, you know, kind of my, my fake friend I have, like, you know, little kids, like, this is Johnny who I play with all day. No. This is the living God. I said it about four weeks ago, what A.W. To Toza said. He called God the great unseen reality. He's reality. He's ultimate reality. You know, this is just a passing existence. That's ultimate reality. And he's here now. If you believe the scriptures, you know he's here. What does Paul say? He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. Well, that tells me God's presence is right there in him. You know, we forget about that too, don't we? The Holy Spirit is in us. You know, talk about that supernatural connection there. You know, you open the Bible, those words are supernatural. You sit and talk to the creator of the universe, the sovereign God, that's supernatural. We need to stop being afraid of, you know, that, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little too weird or we're getting... No! We need to start loving God. That's what we're lacking. You know what powered Paul's ministry? I think about his evangelism and discipleship. Let me just see one thing. You know, you know, I bring this and I don't look at it. So I should have, it's an alarm clock. I should set the alarm like for 35 minutes and then we'd be okay. Uh, I, am, I am going to finish very briefly. Uh, but Paul, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, 
Think about this. What's driving his ministry with these people? He says, we loved you so much. For God so loved the world. Hmm, sounds familiar. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. This is a man who loved God. He wanted, he was striving to love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And in turn, he was loving his neighbor as himself. You know, he was delighted to share the gospel because of the God love put in him. And he was delighted to share his life with other people. That only comes from that loving God, that vertical relationship. You know, when that is powerful, then it spreads out. We can get to a place where we are loving God here, really love. And some of you, I don't want to offend you when I say that. Yes, we, can, we might all love God here, but with that intensity of David? You know, or when the psalmist in Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. How do you get there? You meet with God. You spend time with God. And you say, well, I really don't have time. I'll leave you with a story. Back in World War II in England, there was a young woman who was engaged to a young man who loved her dearly. This man loved this woman so much. He gets a call to go to war and fight, fight against Germany, against the Axis nations. When he's leaving, he looks at her and he says, I promise you, I will write to you every single day. And the young woman said, honey, she said, I know your heart is in it, but it'll probably be impossible. You, you know, you're going to be fighting. There might be situations where, you know, he said, no. I am going to write to you every single day. I promise you. And she let it go. He was called. He went into the army. And several weeks later, she got a letter. The next day, she got another letter. She got another letter and another letter. This went on for a month. It went on for two months. It went on for three months. Every day she got a letter. During the fourth month, she has a friend over for lunch. During their time at lunch, she's talking with her friend. The young woman is talking with her friend. And a friend happens to look over on the fireplace mantle in the other room. And she sees stacks of letters every month, 30. There's about over 100 letters there. And they're piled up. And she said, what is that over there? I have to ask you. And she said, oh, she said, John made a promise to me. Every day he would write to me, no matter what the circumstance. And the young woman, her friend, looked at her and said, this is, I can't believe that, how he could do this. And she says, I have to see this. She walks over to the fireplace mantle and she's looking in, in awe and all of a sudden her face changes and she has this perplexed look and she looks back at the young woman who's engaged and she says, these letters aren't opened. And the young woman says, I know, I've been meaning to open them up but I just haven't had time. Don't let that happen this year with God. God writes you letters every day. Love letters. These, the Bible is filled with them. He has beautiful words to share with you in prayer. Make time for them. Don't, don't leave them unopened. Make time with God. Let's pray. Just take a moment before we pray, would you, and just silently think about some of the things we've talked about and consider 
applying them this year. Let's make this the year that we truly seek to love God. And it is only by His grace, and we get that grace through His Word and through prayer. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for being so cold to you, Lord, for not loving you the way we should, Lord. We know our love is imperfect, Lord, but Lord, I believe, beginning with myself, we could all strive to know you and love you more. Lord, help us to set ourselves and be determined, to be resolute, to spend time with you every day as we open the Bible, Lord, and we open our hearts and ask that you would come in and speak to us and that our hearts would be soft to your words, Lord, to take them in and Lord, may we pray continually, as, as we're told in your word, that we should continually be in prayer. Lord, may we not let days go by where we hardly think about you, Lord, but may you be in the center of our minds and our hearts every moment. Lord, Lord, your grace is so great and amazing that you are so patient with us. And Lord, you are the God that every moment and day gives us new chances in Christ. Lord, so help us to truly, Lord, seek to love you with all our being this year in your power. And if you're here and you have never had a relationship with God. I ask you to search your heart. And if you feel that you are being led to want to know God and to want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you pray and cry out to God for mercy, that he would give grace and mercy to you, that you would come to faith, true saving faith in his son and true repentance, and you would find forgiveness of sins, and you would have the hope of eternal life. Now, Lord, we pray that you would bless the remainder of this day and Lord, may we keep our eyes upon you and our hearts most of all, hungering and thirsting for you. And in that process, may we love our neighbor as ourself. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.